Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, let's uh, continue and uh, we still have a lot of material. I do want to at least cover uh, pages one and two. So how's everybody honestly doing? I know we're covering a lot of material. How are you all honestly doing? Am I going too fast? Too slow? Something to think about between now and the millennium? Okay. All right, so let's go back to our notes again. And uh, we'll pick up our, our little diagram here. All right, so I'd like you to respond to me, not just for me, but just make sure I, I, I sort of, you know, try to be sensitive to people, you know, realising our different backgrounds, different traditions, things we've had to learn, unlearn and so forth. And I, I, do, I do want to be, uh, you know, just sense that you're coming along with me. All right, so is everybody happy with what we did last night, my father's house and your house? Those who are there, thank you for that underwhelming response. Everybody happy? All right, then are we happy that in AD 70 the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was desolated, and there was a certain measure of fulfilment of uh, the things in, uh, in um, Matthew 24? Everybody feel comfortable with that? That wasn't such a very loud one, was it? Maybe you're not. All those who are uncomfortable. Why don't you put this down? I, uh, no, this, uh, I didn't do this last night. As you go through the chapter, and this is what we've got to balance out, that there were a certain amount of things, uh, or certain, what well, I said, dual prophecy. I do believe that there was a certain amount of fulfillment in AD 70 of the things that Jesus spoke. Like he said, you know, pray that your flight be on, won't be on the Sabbath day. Woe to those who are with child. And uh, we didn't mention this last night, but Josephus tells us how uh, when uh, uh, the city was besieged, they were actually eating their own children, cooking them in the oven in fulfilment of the terrible curses and so much of and pray, pray that your flight not be on the Sabbath day or in winter. So, so much of the uh, Matthew 24 had a fulfilment there. It's just that the Lord didn't come. Why don't you put down about uh, six references to this generation, this generation. Six times in the Gospel of Matthew at least, Jesus said, these things will come upon this generation. And so the generation, about 40 years Brings us to AD 70. So if you want to put these references down, Matthew chapter 11, this is on this generation. Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 11 verse 16. Matthew 11 verse 16. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? This generation. Uh, number 2, Matthew chapter 12, verse 41 through to 45. Matthew 12, verse 41 to 45. He said, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks a sign. Then he says, the men of Nineveh will arise in the judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. Because Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, but a greater than Jonah is here. So men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation. And then in the same uh, paragraph I gave you, number three, Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than Solomon is here. This generation, number... Uh, that would be number two. I'm sorry? Uh, you can either put on... Uh, it, sort of, it all belongs to, to sort of AD 70, so you can either slip it down here somewhere just that there was a, a certain measure of fulfilment in this generation, not our generation, 
I mean, we are probably maybe the ultimate generation, but this generation, there was a measure of fulfillment. Okay, everybody with me now? So six times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about this generation, his generation, right through to AD 70. Right, uh, the next reference is Matthew 23 and verse 36. Matthew 23 and verse 36. And he says, all these things will come upon this generation. Verily I say unto you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then one other one here, Matthew 24 and verse 34. Matthew 24 and verse 34. And uh, Jesus said, um, uh, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So this generation. So I uh, recognize that there is a measure of fulfillment in this generation. Turn uh, just for one other thing uh, to Matthew chapter 24 that just confirms this. Matthew 24. And uh, go down to verses 19, verse 19 through to 29. So the main thing I'm trying to balance out here that there was a measure of fulfilment there, but not the ultimate fulfilment. The ultimate fulfilment is when Jesus comes the second time. Alright, so in uh, Matthew 24, verse 19, I've underlined it, those days, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Everybody say, those days. And then verse 21, for then will be great tribulation. So that was great tribulation for those days, that generation. Verse 22, next use of the word those days, it's used four times. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then go down to verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So those days, referring to AD 70, this generation. So a measure of fulfilment there. Alright, so I hope that sort of balances that out for those who say it's all fulfilled there, nothing to be fulfilled, or those who say nothing happened there. Uh, uh, thesis, antithesis, balances, synthesis. Alright. Now, let's go back to uh, page one and we'll pick up the next point here. I haven't forgotten number four. We're going to finish on that. All right, so page one on your, on your notes. All right, so number one, destruction of the temple and the city foretold. Number two, the disciples' threefold question. Number three, warnings against deception. Number four, we're going to finish up on that this afternoon. Number five, the beginning. Number five, be the end. Now, number six, I want to make a couple of comments on number six and number seven. You'll find that the word tribulation is used in this chapter, uh, depending on your translation, two or three times. In uh, New Authorised, we have the word trans, uh, tribulation. You can add it to your notes there uh, in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Tribulation. Then in verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation. Okay? And then in verse 29, next use of the word tribulation, immediately after the tribulation of those days. I want to make a comment on, uh, on this uh, thought of tribulation. Word tribulation simply means pressure. That's all it means. You know, people run around, oh, the tribulation, we're going to be enter the great tribulation. 
Okay, the word simply means pressure. Pressure and affliction. And uh, the uh, aspect I want to bring out here, back there in AD 70, there was a measure of fulfillment. That generation experienced great tribulation. They experienced the tribulation of those days. Four times, I've told you, those days that expression is mentioned. So, uh, tribulation and this generation. So, there's always been tribulation. In fact, the uh, Latin word tribulum, uh, from which we get the English word tribulation, actually was a, a threshing instrument. So once wheat came to maturity and uh, uh, they wanted to get the chaff off, they used these, they put the chaff on the threshing floor there and they got this instrument called a tribulum and so they would thresh the wheat to get the chaff off it. When the, when the wheat was in the milk stage, it couldn't handle the threshing. So once the wheat came out of the milk stage uh, and it was mature, then the tribulum uh, would be used to just to beat the chaff off it. So if God's beating you, you're coming to maturity. So cheer up. It's called the dealings of God. So there's always been tri uh, tribulation or pressure or tribulation on the church. And uh, I believe that this is going to increase worldwide. Now, another note you need to make in, in conjunction with this is we must understand the difference between tribulation and wrath or wrath. The church will not experience the wrath of God. Paul tells us in Thessalonians somewhere, uh, we are not appointed unto wrath. But he, in the same epistle, he says, we'll go through tribulation. So a lot of preachers get these two words mixed up. The wrath, of, the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan against the church and the wrath of God on the ungodly. But the church will experience tribulation and always has and always will be. And, and uh, you know... I, hope, I just want you to pick up my spirit because, you know, we're dealing with uh, Kevy's heavy revers here, some heavy things, and I always pray that I'll come across right in my spirit. But, you know, I've, I've just come back from America last year and, uh, you know, a lot of preachers running around. Church is not going to go through tribulation. We're, we're going to have a little sneaky rapture. Jesus come any moment and get us out of the place and everything like that and the world can go to hell. So we're not going through the tribulation. Listen, we've got to balance this out. Go to my brothers and sisters in Indonesia. And I have a fellow minister there who's laboring there. 3,000 people in Indonesia had their, were beheaded with machetes. I went into a young people's camp. This is facts, you know, from ministers working in Indonesia at this very moment. And uh, they go into this children's camp and they grab hold of a 14-year-old boy and grabbed him and said, you're going to give up Jesus Christ and serve Allah, Muhammad is prophet. He said, no, I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. So they got the machete, chopped off one hand. And then they said, would you give up Jesus Christ and serve Muhammad, his pro, uh, Allah? He said, no. And they chopped off the other hand with a machete. And then they said, will you give up now? He said, no, I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ, 14 years of age. So they got the machete, ripped his belly open, then poured petrol over him and burned him to death. Then they ran through the camp and slaughtered children. Some of them escaped into the thing. You know, so tell it to them. Tell it to the Indonesian brothers. Says, oh, there's no tribulation. Everything's fine. Tell it to the thousands and thousands of Christians in China that have paid their, you know, their life and martyrdom. Tell it to in Saudi Arabia when I was there in the Middle East a number of years ago. Uh, if anybody was publicly baptized, they were shot. So it's great in wonderful Australia and wonderful America and our Western countries say, oh, the church is not going through tribulation. Jesus will be back any moment and get us out of it. 
I remember a man came to me a number of years ago when I was in the States and he was physically shaken. It was the, the time when the, the six-day war was on in the Middle East. He said, Kevin, what am I going to tell my people? I told the people, uh, this is the six-day war, this is it, the rapture will take place any, any time. And he said, you know, five days are up. You know, and he's physically shaken. I said, look, this is my, my, my philosophy. I said, as be- he said, I've told them that they're not going to go through the tribulation. The church is not appointed tribulation. We're going to go up the rapture any time. And so this six-day Middle East war, that's it. This is any moment. Look, I said, this is my philosophy. It's better to be prepared to go through the tribulation and find there is none than be unprepared and find there is one. I can't lose for winning. How many think that's a pretty good philosophy? Better be prepared to go through it and find there is none than be unprepared and find there is one. But you see, the church is always experience pressure and tribulation and martyrdom and it's just intensifying around the world and we see this whole religious thing so we've got to keep that in mind now so there was a measure of fulfillment for that generation in AD 70 as I told you last night not one Christian was known to have lost his life in that period over a million Jews were slaughtered and just went through tragedy after tragedy in the desolations of the city and the temple now after that, I want you to go over to Book of Revelation. And uh, just one verse from Revelation chapter 7. Still just on this point, number 6 and number 7. So Jesus said there will be great tribulation in those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So measure fulfillment there. But uh, pointing down to the end of the age, Revelation chapter 7 And uh, we're told in verse 9, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, After this I beheld a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And the angels, the the elders, the four beasts, uh, living creatures fell down before God. And then verse 13, One of the elders came to me, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? Now this is the only company in the book of Revelation that John didn't know, and one of the elders asked him. So just beware of elders who (laughs) just ask you awkward questions. Who are these, and where do they come from? And John gave the only sensible answer a good student would do. He said, Sir, you know. And we think that's a safe answer. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and uh, most Greek expositors, whichever view they hold uh, you know, on eschatology, they say it reads like this. These are the ones who are coming out of tribulation, the great one, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are they. Now, remember, when John wrote the book of Revelation, it is 26 years later than A.D. 70. The temple has been destroyed, the city has been desolated, Jewry has been scattered into all nations till the time for the Gentiles be fulfilled. And here John in AD 96 or thereabouts is writing, who's this company that's coming out of great tribulation? He said, these are they that are coming out of tribulation, the great one. So what I believe, and uh, a lot of teaching going on this today, that there's going to be seven years tribulation now. I want to say something. And don't worry about getting caught. I mean, we're all in this together. Are you enjoying this? Sometimes I go home and repent at night and say, Lord, but it was fun. Okay, all right. So uh, how, how many have been taught 
And I had great anointings on this till I found I was wrong. How many, how many have been taught that there's going to be a period in this end of the age of seven years a great tribulation? Hands up. I've got both hands up and both feet. Don't be ashamed. You're not going to lose your salvation over it, okay? All right. Uh, yeah, so how many have never been taught anything? How many are ignoramuses? How many... Yeah. Oh, just one hand there. Okay, so I've had a lot to unlearn. Now, this is what shook me because, you see, the things that I was taught from Schofield, and Schofield's dead and knows better now, uh, if you've got a Schofield Bible, I'll forgive you, because now he's up in heaven. They've changed the, the new Schofield Bible. They've changed what he had in the old Schofield Bible without his permission. So, anyway, so he's up in heaven, so looking down there, he said, boy, they've changed that without my permission. But he's dead and knows better now, too. All right, so what I, what I found was this. That in the book of Revelation, there are 57 sevens. The only seven never found there is seven years tribulation. And you see, the secret rapture, and we'll be talking about this tomorrow night, okay, the secret rapture is based on the seven years tribulation. So, okay, Jesus is going to come any moment, the secret rapture, get us all out of it, then we're going to have seven years tribulation with the Antichrist, and da-da-da-da-da. Then after listening to different people and studying the word afresh and reweighing things, I found Revelation has 57 sevens in it, the only seven that is not there seven years. Now, if people get upset with me, so well, it is seven years, I say, well, help yourself. You can have 107 for all I care. But listen to what there is. Now, remember what I've just said about John. John is talking about a company coming out of tribulation 26 years later than AD 70. So this is what I believe, as you've got here. So if you want to complete, and this is sort of covered in the textbook on the 70-week prophecy, the 70th week is the most controversial week. Well, as I understand it, there were half a week here, three and a half years of Christ's ministry. He's cut off in the midst of the week. He causes sacrifice and oblation to cease by his own sacrifice. He makes an end of sin, uh, finishes transgression, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, brings in faith, righteousness, everlasting righteousness, and then for the overspreading, a period of time literally spread out over until the end, he makes things desolate. So Julius had no temple until... Uh, all through this church age, and here we are. So I believe that before Jesus comes a second time, there will be the final half of the seven-week prophecy. Now see, some of my millennial friends, they put the seven years up here. So it's all finished there at the death of Stephen. Uh, the futurists and dispensational school put the seven years down here. My studies say no. In the Gospels, we have three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, half a week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John deal with three and a half years and he's cut off in the midst of the week. Then in the book of Revelation, and this is what I'm going to show you, what convinced me is that there's three and a half years tribulation. Now, if you want to have seven, fine with me. I'm not going to get mad at you, honestly. But there are nine references, or eight references, of three and a half years. Why don't you just take down the references, and then you can study these things later. Okay, here are the references to three and a half years in Daniel... And Revelation, whole, sem uh, whole semester in itself. But this is a seminar, scattering seed. So notice it, Daniel chapter 9, the controversial 70-week prophecy, we're told, in the midst of the week, he will make a covenant, we're running for one week, in the midst of the week. So the middle of the week, the 70th week. All right, Messiah's cut off, but not for himself. 
Daniel chapter 7, 25, and how many would agree with this? Daniel 7 comes before Daniel 9? It's just profound. I mean, you know, I've fasted 40 days to get that. So in Daniel 7, 25, he sees the little horn, speaking of the Antichrist, who makes war with the saints, please, and overcomes them for a time, times, and half a time. It's amazing how we still use these terms today. Uh, you know, you work time, then if you work overtime, you get time and a half. How many of you have been in jail and done double time? And some of you have done time, time and a half? I know, you know that, but we still leave, use these Bible expressions. Where do we get them from? I'm doing time. Yeah, okay, time, time, half a time. When we get to Daniel chapter 12, again, Daniel heard this. He said, how long will it be to the end of these wonders? When will the end be? The time of the end. And the, and the angelic interpreter said to Daniel, it's going to be for a time, a time is a year, times, two years, half a time, half a year. So times, times and half a time. And Daniel said, I heard, but I understood not. And he said, tell me, when will it be the end of these things? He said, Daniel, this is closed up and sealed to the time of the end. So write it in a book. The book was sealed. Okay, great significance there. Revelation chapter 11, uh, and, and, and for those who are a bit more studious, I know I'm throwing the book at you, but I don't want you asking for a refund, okay? Revelation chapter 11 tells you what's going to happen to Jerusalem and Jewry. Revelation chapter 12 tells you what will happen to the church. Revelation chapter 13 onwards tells you what will happen in the world. Let me say that again. Revelation chapter 11 tells you what will happen concerning Jerusalem. We didn't quite finish that last night, but Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone. There's not going to be any peace in Jerusalem till the Prince of Peace comes. Jesus Christ himself. There can be no peace when you reject the Prince of Peace. Revelation chapter 12 tells you what will happen to the church as the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 13 onwards tells you what will happen into the world where the 666 is stamped upon uh, the nations of the world. Now, notice in Revelation chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, we have the same period of time, never once to seven years. In Revelation chapter 11, he says, I give power to my two witnesses 40 and two months. When I went to school, 40 and two months were three and a half years. Revelation chapter 11, and it says, these two witnesses will prophesy 1260 days. 1260 days, 30 days of prophetic month is three and a half years. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6, we have a picture of a woman. I personally believe representing the church, the bride of Christ, she is preserved for 1260 days in a place called the wilderness, whatever it is, but preserved miraculously, that's three and a half years. Then Revelation 12 and verse 14, Daniel says this woman, speaking of the church, given wings of an eagle, they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as an eagle. She's preserved in the wilderness for a time, a year, times, two years, and half a time. Half a year, three and a half years. Now whether you say time, times, and half a time, 42 months, 12, 60 days, all one and the same period of time. Then uh, I say to John, where'd you get that from? Oh, John, Kevin, you want to know where I got it from? I swallowed the book of Daniel. Because Daniel was told to shut up the book and seal it to the time of the end, and he, he just said, I don't know what you're talking about. Time, times, and a half a time. I don't understand it. And the, and the, prophet, and, and the angel said to Daniel, 
It's sealed to the time of the end. And once we get to Revelation, John sees the seven-sealed book, it's opened, and he swallows the little book, and he immediately prophesies 1260 days, time, times, and half a time. Revelation 13, verse 5, we're told about the man who is the beast, who sets up the image with his prophet, and this is for 40 and two months, three and a half years. Here we have eight references, all right, the controversial one, number one. But we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven clear references to three and a half years and spoken of as time of trial, affliction, tribulation, and everything like that. Never one to seven. Now, as I said, you know, if you have friends, or I have friends here, and you say, well, Kevin, I disagree. Well, let's disagree agreeably. This is why I believe in three and a half years, tribulation, the end of the age. And we have a whole Old Testament shadows. Elijah shut up the heaven for half a week, three and a half years. Uh, in Revelation chapter 11, we have a prophet who shuts up heaven for half a week, three and a half, half years, that it reigned not in the days of his prophecy. Who did that? Elijah. We have some prophet who uh, smites the earth with plagues as often as he will. We have a prophet who turns waters to blood. The only man who did that in the total Bible was who? Moses. I'm talking to an intelligent people. Yes, yeah. Louder, louder, louder. I'm talking to you. Yes, okay. Uh, not Enoch, for those who have had some teaching on this. Not Enoch. Three and a half years. All right, so if you want to put that on your notes, KJC believes in three and a half years tribulation at the end of the age. There's always been tribulation, but at the end of the age, I believe there'll be a special period, and I believe pressure is increasing on the church. All right, how are you all doing? Okay, thank you. All right, let's go to page two. We're doing marvelous. We're doing wonderful. All right, now number eight, I want to touch on uh, number eight and number nine, a little bit here, and then uh, just about time for a break. You're doing wonderful. Thank you for being such a good people. All right, number eight, the sign of the Son of Man coming. Now, in this uh, little diagram there you've got there, I've already given you scriptures. So in this uh, diagram here, let's, let's make sure we're coming along here. So we've looked at Father's house, your house, desolate. We've looked at the beginning, looked at AD 70, this generation, fulfillment here. Now the church age is overspreading. We've looked at references on the end. We've given some thoughts on great tribulation. Tribulation they had back there, great tribulation, this end of the age that Daniel and Revelation talks about. And in this period, a guy who puts the mark of the beast on people, the chip. Now, let's look at this word coming. This word coming is used 20 times. And if you want to draw a line across the first two, let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. The first use of this word coming, uh, and what I'm sharing with you, you know, these are things that convince me. Wow, thank you, Lord. You know, it says to study the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God. All right, Matthew chapter 16, first use of the word coming and it's in verse 27 and 28. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. Well, he's already come the first time. He's already here. So he must be talking about another coming. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward every man according to his works. How many believe that's referring to his actual, literal, bodily second coming? How many would say amen? You feel comfortable with that? But verse 28... Uh, I see this is referring to a sort of a spiritual or miniature coming. Verily I say unto you, there should be some standing here 
which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Then immediately, no chapter divisions, after six days, if you want to superimpose it, six days, a day of the Lord is a thousand years, more than that that meets the ear, he goes up on the mount of transfiguration. Moses and Elijah, all those two guys, they turn up on the mount. Peter, James and John, apostles of the new covenant church, Moses, law, Elijah, prophet, they're all on the mount. Seven persons involved. That was an aspect of the coming of the kingdom there, but not his literal, actual bodily coming. Now, let's go to these next ones. So put a line between Matthew 16, 27 and 28. So put a line across there. Now, Matthew 24, 3, the next use of it. Tell us what will be the sign of your coming. Now, I haven't got time to read all these references here, but all through, they all have to do with his coming. If they knew what hour the thief would come, let me see if I've got, got it sort of here, typed out. Yes, let me just brief quote. I've given you the references, so don't feel frustrated. Uh, uh, what is the sign of your coming? As the lightning comes from east to the west, the coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man, verse 30, verse 37, coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man. Uh, he knew not when his Lord comes. If the man would have known what hour the thief would come, the Son of Man comes, uh, the Lord when he comes, my Lord delays his coming. The Lord will come in a day when he's not looking. The bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Watch the Son of Man cometh. After a long time, the Lord came. A long time. Here we are, 2002. After a long time. Not back in AD 70. He didn't come then. He came in judgment, but not his literal, bodily, physical, actual coming. At my coming, when the Son of Man shall come, go to the last reference, and I'd like you to put a line just under the bottom here, you see. So you'll notice Matthew 24 and 25, the word coming is used 17 times. Now I'm saying that for what reason? What are you saying that for, Kevin? Just to show you that Matthew 24 and 25 are second coming chapters. It all didn't happen in AD 70. 17 references to the word come or coming. And then the last reference is Matthew 26, and 64, Matthew 26 and 24, Jesus is standing before the high priest Caiaphas and in the judgment hall and they said to him, I adjure you by the living God. I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man, Messianic title, sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. His ascension, sitting, and his second coming. Then the high priest tore his clothes. And the moment he did that, the Bible says, if a high priest ever rent his garment, he was to be put to death. And the moment the Aaronic priesthood tore his clothes, he pronounced the death penalty on the Aaronic priesthood because there was a new priesthood hanging out there on the cross after the order of Melchizedek. I think that's worth a little baby hallelujah. Not too loud now. Don't want you getting too emotional. Coming. All right. Coming, coming, coming. Now, what do we need to do now? Okay. <laughs> oh, we're doing okay. Are you doing okay? I looked at my watch and a demon kicked the leg onto half past five. But it's not there yet, is it? Wonderful. Okay, go back to page two now. 
So number eight, the sign of his coming. Let me make a statement here without trying to prove it. Oh, yes, maybe I'll say that later on. Yeah, I do want to finish these two sheets with you. Number nine, the great sound of the trumpet gathering together the elect. Let's go to Matthew 24 and verse 31. All right, so on your chart, Matthew 24, verse 31, I'm on taught, and so we've seen the beginning, and then this, those days, the measure of fulfillment, then the overspreading to the end of the age and the gospel of the kingdom, then, I believe, great tribulation, some have seven years, I hold three and a half years, great tribulation, the final tribulation of all tribulations, then coming. Now, what, what was the word I told you to put above coming? Everybody say it? trumpet. Okay, I want you to look at this word trumpet with me and, and those of you who know me, you know my fanaticism. When, when I do something, this is my fixation so you don't have to be like Kevin Connor. Everybody said praise God. But when I do it, I like to put all the parts of the puzzle. So what I did on this, I thought, oh, I've got to check this out. Matthew 24 and verse 31. In fact, why don't we take verse 29 to, just to give the context in its ultimate fulfillment here. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, those days back there, the days we're living in, the sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens, and I think principalities and powers in heavenly places, hallelujah, will be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming in the crowds, clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I'm not going to mourn when Jesus comes. I'm going to be shouting and hollowing. How many can say amen? In fact, I have a Baptist friend. He said, Kevin, you know the Baptists are going to be first ones up in the rapture? I said, where'd you get that from? He said, well, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. A Baptist brother told me that. Sorry. All those Baptists here? Okay. All right, verse 31 we're after. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the elect, his elect, from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now what I did in my study on this, I thought, Lord, now what is this great sound of a trumpet? What is this trumpet all about? And so what I did for my own study, I went through every reference to trumpets in the New Testament. And I want to give you a brief summary of what they say. I wish we had time to milk these things properly, but because I'm talking to an intelligent bunch of people, you're improving as you get better. Okay. Listen to what the New Testament says about trumpets, because you see a lot of people today are looking for the rapture trumpet when they've never even heard a lot of other trumpets that John talks about. And remember what I said, John in Revelation, Paul in Pauline eschatology, Peter, Peter, Peter's a good apostle, but not as brilliant as Paul, so he didn't say anything about this. But John and Paul and Jesus, they're the only ones that talk about trumpets. Okay? And they are the ones that give us the most stuff on eschatology. So look what the New Testament says. Okay? You can put this all under trumpets. Okay, what did Jesus say? He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, they'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming. His actual body coming. The same Jesus. Those two men. When Jesus ascended up on high, 
All the disciples are looking upwards. They see two men standing there in shining raiment, two witnesses. Oh, who do you think those two men could have been? I think the same guys in chapter 11 of Revelation. All right, so they say, this same Jesus will come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. So, Jesus said immediately after the tribulation, you see Son of Man coming with clouds and the trumpet voice. And this trumpet voice gathers the elect. Now, how many remember when Jesus was here on earth? He said to his disciples, look, I've got a lot to teach you guys, you dinglings. Uh, well, didn't quite put it straight, huh? but you can't handle it. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to complete teaching you what I was not able to teach you on, your, on earth because you're not able to bear it now. How many believe that's true? So Jesus didn't teach them all he wanted to. They just weren't ready to handle it. But he said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll teach you. Now, okay, what does Paul say? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 to 18 that uh, concerning those who are asleep, don't worry about them. They haven't missed the coming of the Lord. But when the Lord comes, he's going to descend with a shout. So if you don't like shouting, shout to the Lord. If you don't like shouting too much, I don't know, you're going to stay in the grave when Jesus comes. But how many know that Jesus is going to have to shout real loud for some dead Christians? Not here, of course. Okay, with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. I personally believe this archangel is Michael because Michael is always associated with bodily resurrection he contended with the devil over the body of Moses. Not his spirit, not his soul, but his body. Voice of the archangel is always associated with warfare, with the devil, and always associated with bodily resurrection. So the Lord descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ rise first, resurrection. And we which are alive, uh, uh, yeah, the dead in Christ are raised first. We which are alive and remain, so there's going to be a church that's alive and remaining to the coming of the Lord. How many would like to be in that company? We're not all, all going to die. I'd like to see the uptaker, not the undertaker. So we which are alive and remain. So resurrection, and then we which are alive, there's translation, are uh, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And what happens? We are caught up together in the air to meet the Lord and we'll be forever with him. And everybody said, hallelujah. I said, everybody said, Hallelujah. Wow. Now, is Paul contradicting what Jesus said? No way. Jesus just said, coming in the clouds of heaven, trumpet voice gathers the elect from the four winds uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the earth, okay? Four winds of heaven. Paul confirms that with some more details. He's going to come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, same trump, dead in Christ rise first, so the dead in Christ and the living saints uh, remain, uh, changed and we're caught up. That's the rapture. Not a sneaky one, but at the coming of the Lord. Not seven years beforehand, but at the coming of the Lord. All right, Paul, what else do you tell us? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, uh, 51 to 57. He says that when Jesus comes, he says he's going to come at the last trump. Everybody say, last trump. Well, if there's the last trump, maybe there's some other trumps. And see, people are looking for the rapture trumpet, but we haven't had some other trumpets yet, as we'll see. Then he says that the last trump, there will be the resurrection of the dead. Oh, Paul, you've already told the Thessalonians that. Yeah, dead in Christ, rise first. And the living saints will be changed. Oh, Paul, you've already told uh, the Thessalonians that. We which alive and remain shall be changed. Uh, and he says, we will inherit the kingdom of God. And see, in Matthew, we saw how 
He sets up the kingdom. Come, ye blessed, inherit the kingdom. So Paul is not contradicting what Jesus said, and he's confirmed. Okay, now let's get to John. John, as I said, and remember what I said before, Jesus and Paul and John are the only books in the New Testament that speak about trumpets. What does John say? Oh, John, oh, John says, I got a lot of trumpets, Kevin. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard the voice of a trumpet. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and I heard the voice of a trumpet. And what does that trumpet say? It has a message to the seven churches. I wish we had time to work on that. We haven't. Revelation chapter 4, 1, after the message to the seven churches, John says, I was in the Spirit, and I heard the voice of a trumpet, the same trumpet voice as he heard in chapter 1, and this trumpet said, come up. And John ascends in spirit and he sees a throne with a seven-sealed book in it. And the Lamb is about to break the seals. Then as he gets to the seventh seal, seven churches, seven seals, when he opens the seventh seal, he sees seven trumpets. And trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet three. And you see, in the Old Testament, Israel used to keep the Feast of Trumpets. Now, take this kindly and don't throw it away. might be right. A lot of people are looking for the rapture trumpet when they haven't even, in the church, experienced the Feast of Trumpets and all that that says. Let me throw this curly one in for the studious. See, the church has had the Feast of Passover, church has had the Feast of Pentecost, but where has the church had the Feast of Tabernacles? And see, many people say, oh, we've got to keep the Feast of Tabernacles over there, no, in God's mind, you could not have the Feast of Tabernacles unless you had the Feast of Pentecost. And you couldn't have the Feast of Ta uh, Pentecost unless you accepted Christ in the Feast of Passover. How many have enjoyed the Feast of Passover, Christ our Passover lamb? Amen. Some of you haven't. You want to get saved now? Okay. How many have enjoyed the Feast of Pentecost? How many have had the Feast of Tabernacles? See, the first day of the seventh month was the blowing of these things that these Hebrew writers are talking about, unless we understand. Oh, feast, feast of trumpets, blowing of trumpets, blowing of trumpets, going on. And then, Revelation chapter eleven, fifteen, the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet, at the seventh trumpet, John hears a voice, the seventh trumpet sounded, and voices, lightnings, thunders, earthquakes, says the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of his Christ and the time of the dead that they should be judged and God's servants should be rewarded and he should destroy those who destroy the earth. That's every reference to trumpets in the New Testament. So, though I haven't explained it fully, encouragement, study the word. All right, now... Let's go to page one, and all we've got to do is just fill in. That's all we can do. Okay. Okay, go back to your chart now, and we're just gonna we're just gonna fill in the chart. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to give details. Okay, so this is what you're gonna fill in a moment. I just want to make some quick uh, quick comments. When you get to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, 
And uh, maybe you could put this just next to number four. We're looking at the seven signs. Uh, this is what John sees. In Revelation chapter 4, he sees a throne. And the word throne is used about 12 times in those chapters, particularly in that chapter, Revelation chapter 4, the throne. Caught up in the spirit, he hears a trumpet. So you see this sequence, trumpet, and a throne used about... Uh, eight times in that chapter, but I think about 12 times altogether. I had it here. The throne. And in the throne, he sees a book. And the word book is used at least eight times. So throne and book. That's the key. Revelation 4, the throne. Revelation chapter 5, a book. And this book is sealed with seven seals. And uh, it's a principle I like to use and encourage. You know, we've got different churches and different backgrounds that John wept much because nobody in heaven and earth was worthy to open the book or break the seals. And uh, one of the elders said to John, look, stop weeping. The lion, the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, lamb, lamb in his sec first coming, the sacrifice, the victor, victim, lion in his second coming, the victor, he's prevailed to open the book. And what, what are we told? We're told that the four living creatures the 24 elders and all the angelic hosts all began to worship the Lamb. And it was in that atmosphere of worship. Please do get hold of the principle, those who haven't had some teaching on this. In that atmosphere of worship of the Lamb, God and the Lamb, the Lamb came and began to break the seals of the book and give understanding to John. My point here is worship precedes the opening of the book. Worshipping churches are getting the word open to them. Worship precedes the opening of the book. How many can say amen? I want to, you know, no, no, hopefully no pride on my part, but sometimes when I'm studying this word, honestly, because Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll take all the things of Jesus, make them real to you. And sometimes as I'm studying the word, it's just coming to me so fast and I'm writing. I say, Holy Spirit, slow down. You're talking too fast. Please, let me get that down. What, what was that? Say that again. Just... It's there. And Jesus promised that to us all. When the Holy Spirit come, he would take of the things of Jesus and make them real to us. How many can say amen? That's his work. Okay, let's fill in. So now, as the Lamb begins to break the seals of the book, this is the order. And here's your fill in. We'll wrap it up in a few moments. So number one, the white horse. We could spend a lot of time on that. Some say, white horse, antichrist. No, I went through every reference to white in the New Testament. And every reference, every reference in Strong's Concordance to white in the New Testament is either to God, to Christ, to the angels and saints. Never once to the baddies. Never once to the devil. So first seal, white horse, going forth, the gospel of the kingdom. Beginning in Acts, going through the epistles, right through to the end of the age. This gospel of the kingdom. Okay, number two, second seal, a red horse. Jesus said, and you see this is where we're corresponding, Matthew 24 and book of Revelation. There will be wars and rumours of wars. I'll say something about this as we wrap up. Number three, the third seal was a black horse and the rider had a pair of scales in his hands, famines. It's hard for us to realise that two-thirds of the world today are on starvation rations. Number four, fourth seal, is broken open and he sees a pale, a leprous horse, pestilences and plagues 
And you'll notice that it actually includes all that's gone before. There's death and famine and pestilence and plagues. And I mean, you know, look at the plagues that are happening today. AIDS, Ebola, some of these things. We could spend a whole evening on each one of these seals and how real they are in the world today. We can't cope with it. Everything's a virus, attacking a virus and eating another virus and this virus eats the other virus and out comes another virus. It even gets into your computer. You have to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Okay, number five. He opens the fifth seal and he sees souls under the altar. Persecution and apostasy. And they're saying, how long before you avenge our blood? He said, just wait a little while. There's still a few martyrs to come yet. From Indonesia and China. Maybe we'll get a few in Australia and America and a few of these rich nations. Or sophisticated China. Number six, the sixth seal, earthquakes. I've got statistics here, you know, from the 12th, 13th, 14th century, you know, 100 earthquakes, 300, 400, 250. But in the last century, two, over 2,000 earthquakes and tremors, just increasing. And just my own belief is, I believe we are up to the fifth seal. These things are open. Some put them all, say, oh, none of them are open yet. Say, hey, what's going on? You could have fooled me. Okay, I believe sixth seal is being opened with earthquakes. I look for signs in the sun, moon and stars. Russia said years ago she'd paint the moon red and God said, no, you won't, I'm going to do it. And then number seven, notice it, under the seventh seal we have the trumpets and the last trumpet gathers the elect. So Matthew, a panoramic revelation and the seals just correspond as we look at them both. All right, now let me finish on this. And we're just about half past. I'd like you to take this down and uh, hope this sort of wraps up this lot because we're going to look tonight at the rebuilding of Babylon and insane Hussein, Saddam Hussein, however you call it. When the seals are open, listen carefully to these little P's here, they open at a point of time, but they stay open for a period of time. Everybody say point of time and a period of time. So there's a point of time when they open. The lamb broke the seal and opened the first seal and they rode forth the white horse. So a point of time, but once the seal, seal and once the seals are open, they stay open for a period of time. So what I understand, and uh, some of the exposed would agree with me, whichever uh, eschatological field they may belong in millennial-wise, see that there is a point of time in history Way back there, when the first seal was opened, and it includes the going forth of the word and the spirit, the gospel of the kingdom, right through to the end of the age, when this gospel of the kingdom has been preached in all the world for witness, then the end comes. Once the second seal opened, it includes all the wars and rumors of wars, and way down this end of the age, you know, we would think of World War I, the, the, the Boer War, the World War I, World War II, I mean... The whole world is terrorist war, American war, and think of all the wars. So it includes in itself. So it's a point of time, but a period of time. And it includes all wars right to the second coming. The last war that's going to take place is Armageddon. And when that takes place, Armageddon out of it. And they coming with me. Okay. So it includes in itself all wars. Now, does that make sense to everybody? Same with famine. Once the famine seal began to open at a point of time, it includes, and it's going to get worse and worse because under the period of the Antichrist, food, can't buy or sell food. And I mean, 
you know, we have shadows of it here in Australia. Remember when they tried to bring the ID card in us? And I got papers where they had the picture of a man in Australia with the number on his forehead and 14 things that we were not allowed to do. We couldn't buy land or open a bank account, da da da. Right here in Australia, all shadows of that little ship on the block. Uh, okay, all right, same with persecution. Once it happened and opened, it continues right through and the apostasy and earthquakes and so forth. And you see, Jesus didn't say there'd just be one sign on the sun, moon and stars. When you do Revelation properly, the sun, moon and stars are struck under the sixth seal. Sun, moon and stars are struck under the fourth trumpet. And the sun is struck under the fourth bowl of wrath. See, it includes all. And any time the heavenly bodies are touched, it's always in relation to God's people. When God wanted to heal Hezekiah and add 15 years onto his life, he just moved the sun a little bit. When Jesus died on the cross as the Son of God, the S-O-N, at the midnight, mid, midday hour, was darkened. God just pulled a shutter over the sun, S-O-N in connection with the sun, S-U-N. When the feasts were to be governed, they were all governed by the moon. When you see the moon turn to blood, these same signs, when Joshua needed a little bit more time to win a battle, he said, sun, just stop still. Moon, just stop still. Got to finish the battle. God always touched the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, stars, in relation to judgment to the world and deliverance to the people of God. And Jesus says, when you see these signs take place, Lift up your heads, your redemption draws nigh. And everybody says, hallelujah. Let's stand, let's pray. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Why don't we give the Lord a clap offering? Not me, but give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just lift our hands to you. We thank you for helping us this afternoon. So much material, so much to cover. You're just inexhaustible word. And Father, we just pray once again that the Holy Spirit will take these things and just enlarge us spiritually, Lord. Just give us a, a greater hunger, a greater passion for the inexhaustible Word of God. We realize, Lord, so many of your people just surface, they just surf the net, they surface read your Word. And yet there's so much there, so inexhaustible. Father, I just pray that the Word will have fallen upon good ground of our hearts. And again, Lord, I pray, not just information to the mind, but formation of our character that we'll serve you 100%. Father, just bless us now as we take a break, refresh us spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and our total being for our final session tonight. And we give you all the praise in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said amen. amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. You can also watch this five-part seminar on video at kevinconnor.org forward slash courses.